This is a future-focused bill. Now, look, that's good language. Do you like that? Do you like that? That's good. Let's use that. <laughs> Not, it's going to take a while. This is a future-focused bill. I like it. This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsu Politics. Hello. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Pantsuit Politics, where we take a different approach to the news. So glad to be here with you, Sarah, and with all of you who are listening. We have a very long list to get through today. And for what I believe might be the first time in Pantsuit Politics history, it's all related to our three branches of government doing things that seem to serve the public good. Listen, I just, can we? I just teared up. Can we take a minute? Can we just take a minute with that? I might cry a lot in this episode. You know, I just love it. Do I love anything more than government efficiency besides maybe my family members? I don't know. Well, I think it is important to take a minute with that. And that's why we're doing it today. It is not that there are only good things happening in the world. Mm -hmm, Certainly mm -hmm, a mm -hmm. lot deserves our attention and our care and our focus that is really difficult. But in the midst of all that difficulty to see and acknowledge the good matters. So we're just going to present you with a real charcuterie board of positive (laughs) developments today. And then we're going to put some honey and jam on that board outside of politics by talking about the books that we read in July. It's just going to be a good one today. It's a big government. So when it's functioning properly, there's a lot going on. And y'all email and DM us a lot and say, I hope you're going to talk about this. And chances are we are. It might not all make it into the podcast feed. So every morning... On our premium podcast subscriptions, I do good mornings. I cover the headlines. Every evening, Monday through Thursday, Beth does more to say. She does a deep dive on a topic. So chances are we're covering maybe some of the things you want to talk about in those daily podcasts, Monday through Thursday. So if you're interested in that, go on Patreon or Apple Podcast subscription. You can get a free trial on Apple Podcast subscriptions to check it out and see what you think. We we would love to have you either in the mornings or in the evenings. And now... Let's get to some positive developments in the executive and judicial branches. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, a.k.a. problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. 
and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Last Thursday, Attorney General Merrick Garland, who is constantly encouraged to do his job on Twitter, showed that he <laughs> does, in fact, behave Twitter with a sense of urgency. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he does, in fact, have a sense of diligence combined with urgency. He announced that the Justice Department charged four current and former Louisville police officers for their involvement in the raid that led to the 2020 killing of Breonna Taylor. This indictment focuses primarily on the acts that led up to the raid of her home. And DOJ says that basically the officers involved in getting this warrant just straight up lied. They submitted an affidavit that they knew contained false and misleading statements, omitted material facts, relied on stale information, and was not supported by probable cause. That is as legalese as you get for liar, liar, pants on fire Mm -hmm, to a court. mm -hmm. Specifically, a detective was arguing to a judge that Miss Taylor had a former boyfriend who was shipping packages to her apartment. And the detective said, I can confirmed this with a postal inspector. It turns out, DOJ says, that the detective did not, in fact, confirm it with a postal inspector. And that after Brianna Taylor was shot dead, this detective met up in his garage with another detective to agree on a cover-up story to tell investigators who were looking into these circumstances. So there are charges related to those lies, deprivation of rights, conspiracy, falsification of records. And then there are separate charges against the officer who fired into the neighbor's apartment, if you remember mm-hmm. the facts here, mm-hmm. for depriving people of rights by excessive use of force. Sarah, I think sometimes justice is delayed. But this is a good pursuit of federal oversight to take a second look at this. I think it's so interesting that the officers who actually shot and killed Breonna Taylor are not in this indictment. And I think it's easy to be discouraged by that. But to me, saying, no, this was bigger and more complex and more problematic than just what happened in the shooting itself speaks to the criticisms that we've all been launching for two years since Breonna Taylor was killed, which is, you know, to me, I don't I don't necessarily think, you know, charging the officers who shot her perpetuate the bad apple. That's not what I mean, the sort of bad apple argument. I think that they should have been charged, and I would have liked to see the, the jury verdicts go another way. But I, I just think the Justice Department coming in and saying, we're, listen, we're casting the net wider because we understand— that the problems, especially with the warrant process, especially with no-knock warrants, is bigger, and we need to get at that as well. I think it's really important. I put this under the heading of our federal government functioning properly, too, because taking this perspective on it gets to that federal oversight component of protecting constitutional rights as states do their police work. Mm -hmm. You know, The federal government cannot avenge every murder, cannot correct every state jury that renders a verdict it disagrees with or that we as a public disagree with. It was Kentucky's job to take a look at what those officers did and try those officers and reach a decision. I disagree with the decision. I very strongly think our attorney general has done a horrible job in Kentucky dealing with this case. Yep. The federal role, though, is to say systemically what is the problem here. And this case says systemically one of the problems is in the way that warrants are Mm -hmm. sought out. And we need to expose that and, and tell police departments across the country, you are on constitutionally shaky ground if you are not doing your diligence to seek a warrant. So I feel really good about that. Yeah, and especially if you're lying to seek a warrant. I would like the power of the federal government to say we do not lie to seek warrants and we certainly don't cover up our lies after the fact. So I'm here for that. Not lying is a good segue because we're going to go now to Austin, Texas, where a jury said sometimes Mm. our lies are not protected by free speech. That's right. A jury awarded $4.11 million in compensatory damages and $45.2 million in punitive damages to Neil Heslin and Scarlett Lewis from Alex Jones and his media company, Free Speech Systems. Free Speech Systems. Mm-hmm. These are the parents of Jesse Lewis, who was murdered at six years old 
in a 2012 mass shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. The compensatory damages were about $2 million for each parent because Alex Jones, as we all know, went around saying for a very long time in very specific terms that what happened at Sandy Hook was a hoax. This trial was super weird. Uh, It is not the last time we're going to see Alex Jones in this posture. There's another trial coming up in Austin, a trial in Connecticut where eight families have sued him. But it's difficult for me to not feel good about a civil verdict against Alex Jones for defaming people, calling them crisis actors and and pretending that this tragedy is just a piece of a big game he's playing instead of a, a real instance of human suffering. Now, super weird. Are you referencing the fact that his lawyers accidentally turned over his entire text messages? Is that the super weird part you're referencing? I mean, that's one component. There was the moment when the judge asked if he was chewing gum and he was like, let me show you the inside of my mouth. And she said, pass. I mean, it was just it was a weird approach that he took to being on the stand. Everything about him and his interaction with systems that he constantly criticizes, the fact that he skipped some of the trial to do his show. It's just it's bizarre. I mean, I would not call that moment with the text messages weird. I would call it glorious and um, karma and wonderful. It's apparently being turned over to the January 6th committee. Can't Can't wait to see where that goes. Because he was lying. He was lying that he was not talking about it in his text messages. He got caught in that lie. And there's just, especially in this moment in time in American history, after years of Donald Trump and his media minions, Lying all the time for someone to be caught so openly was deeply satisfying. I said on the news brief this morning, Alex Jones looks like he's been road hard and hung up wet, which is an expression we use in the South. I'm I'm sure in other parts of the country where there are lots of horses, but he just looks like it's catching up to him. Like, how could you? How could you behave this way? How could you do this as a job, perpetuate these incredibly harmful and cruel lies about dead children on their families and it not just start to act on you. You know what I mean? Like the body keeps the score and I don't just mean trauma that you didn't ask for. I mean evil acts that you perpetuate. And it's just showing up all over him and his behavior in these jury verdicts. And listen, I'm not saying I'm celebrating it, but maybe just a little I'm celebrating it. Well, this is an instance of bringing an imperfect tool to a situation that that required something, right? There is not a good way in the United States of America to just shut down Alex Jones. This verdict will not change what lots of the people who've listened to him for years believe. Or the suffering these people. Or the suffering these families have endured. It won't bring these children back. It won't, it won't change what they've lived through. But sometimes money in our court system is what we have. And so it's an imperfect tool, an imperfect result. But thank goodness we have some public pronouncement, just the judge saying, the fact that you believe it doesn't make it true. Can can we rent some billboards and pop that up everywhere? You know, it's just a moment that feels a little bit sane in a time where everything surrounding this man in particular and his Mm -hmm. ecosystem does not does not feel so. Well, and here's the important thing that I always remember, you know, every time I post something on Facebook and like I have an exchange with somebody, it's always important to remember so many more people are watching. And this isn't just about Alex Jones. This is about all the other people who behave in the world like Alex Jones does, looking at this verdict and thinking, uh, could I be next? This is about media companies who have a lot on the line, looking at this increased liability and thinking, do we need to do things differently? I do. It does feel like we've entered, you know, a new phase with with all the news about OANN not being carried anywhere, like and the continued suits regarding Dominion voting. I mean, like, again, it's an imperfect tool and it takes a long time, but it does feel like change is happening with regards to particularly media companies who just perpetuate wild lies on the public. And, you know, all of those decisions are about risk assessment. This trial does not set a precedent. For other, like another jury could come to a totally different result Mm -hmm. in another case on the facts. We will still have individualized, highly scrutinized judicial considerations of anything that involves speech. 
So I don't worry about the First Amendment because it stays very particularized in those inquiries. But it does, I think, have, and I'll just say it, a chilling effect mm-hmm. on on organizations that want to disseminate something that is clearly false and extremely harmful. And the way they're burning through our political environment, I don't mind them being chilled just a little bit. Sometimes a little chill is what we're looking for. Okay. The White House has also been really busy getting things done. President Biden signed an executive order to help deal with the fallout of the Dobbs decision. And it has a lot in it. Fundamentally, it is saying to the Secretary of Health and Human Services, please do everything that you can to protect abortion access through medication, to ensure that physicians know they're still responsible for saving lives if their mm. the patient in front of them is pregnant or going through pregnancy loss. Please do everything you can to protect access to contraception. Um, please help people who are in legal jams because of the Dobbs decision. It has data protection components. It, it considers federal workers and military members. But it is it is the White House saying, we are aware of the issues. We're studying what we can do. And we're rolling out what we can as it's available to us. And and so I think these were these were good steps. This didn't look like overreach to me at all. Usually mm-hmm. I hate executive orders because they feel like the president is trying to be the Congress. This looked like a very pointed statement to an agency already responsible for many of these things to keep on it. I like that it was directed to Health and Human Services and not the Department of Justice. Like, we're not just going to use the, the criminal justice system. We're also going to use this agency that is really charged with protecting people's health because that's what's at risk here. I thought that that was a really positive direction to go into. The last bit I wanted to cover in the executive branch, Sarah, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, is that um, President Biden also announced that the U.S. government successfully carried out an operation to kill an al-Qaeda leader in Afghanistan. I always feel weird about covering a human being's assassination as good news. I also think it's important to talk about this and to acknowledge that this was the very precise use of a drone missile. Um, That's both good in that no civilians or family members were killed. I also find it somewhat terrifying about the world that we live in. Uh, But this was a person who had helped coordinate the 9-11 attacks and the White House said, look, we withdrew from Afghanistan. We are not finished seeking justice for September 11th. And we are fully capable of doing targeted military work without a presence on the ground in Afghanistan. Yeah, I mean, Al-Zahari was one of the most, like, hunted terrorists in the world and had been, you know, for decades. When you're talking about sort of the brains behind 9-11, we're talking over 20 years ago that this man has been on the most wanted list. He was dangerous. He was continuing to lead al-Qaeda I think one of the most important fallouts from this, though, is, you know, our relationship with Afghanistan. And I don't know if relationship's even the right word for it. Obviously, they were not thrilled. They said that was violating our peace agreements after withdrawal. We said you were harboring him, and that was violating our peace agreements after the withdrawal. I mean, Afghanistan just continues to degrade. The situation there is terrible. And I think our willingness to to go in there and and take out this leader and do this drone strike shows that we don't have a lot of investment in the relationship with the Taliban and the leadership of Afghanistan anymore. And I don't think that that's necessarily unfair, but it also leaves me in a place of of continued concern for the people of Afghanistan and the fact that there's just not a lot of aid or even sort of positive direction when it comes to what's going to be happening in that country, especially between Afghanistan and the United States. I agree with all of that. I think this is also a, a moment that the White House wanted to assure the American people that America is is strong, that we mm-hmm. have capabilities, that we are continuing to look at what's going on in the world, that we aren't completely shrinking back because of the situation in Ukraine, because of China's threats regarding Taiwan. So, I, you know, it's a projection of strength just ahead of another anniversary of September 11th. And I think the White House has to call that good on balance. Well, and I think it's the this sense of like, see, we told you we could withdraw mm-hmm. and still protect our security. That's what we promised you. And here we are delivering that we no longer have a presence in Afghanistan and we were still able to take out one of the most wanted terrorists in the world. I mean, I, I think that was a very clear message. So that was a lot. 
And there's more. We haven't even gotten to Congress. So we're going to check in with Congress, which has had an uncharacteristically productive run, next. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive and Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash pantsy. I mean, Beth, is it uncharacteristic in these most recent months? Should we change our characterization of Congress's work ethic? I don't know. I'd like to see a little bit more, just a little <laughs> touch more. I'd like to go on a little bit more. But what, what I think is so encouraging is that this is all happening at a time when Congress is supposed to be at its least effective so because we're true. coming close to the midterms. So true. And it seems like the way that everything has been flipped upside down and all around lately, so have the incentives for members of Congress right now. And I like it. And I think we should marinate it in it for just a bit. Do you think they're a bit inspired by the January 6th committee? It's like these people out here, Liz Cheney out here, knowing she's about to lose her primary. I'm not ready to call it yet for the record. But like out there, these people who are really risking their political future to do this. And I just feel like how are you going to sit back and be worried about your reelection when you have these opportunities? Also, not for nothing, not for nothing. Most members of Congress 
midterm problems are already over because they're focused in primaries, not general elections. So just want to put that out there for consideration as well. I think all of that's true. And if if it isn't inspiration coming from a, a good, sincere place, I do think that Democratic leadership has just gotten a little bit of momentum under they its sails. They've got their sea legs a little bit. Yes, like, okay, we can do things. We can force Republicans into difficult positions. I mean, we'll talk about Build Back Better in a second. But I think a positive of Build Back Better kind of falling apart is that it broke this sense of we have to keep Democrats 100% in line on every issue and take one big shot. Yeah. So now we have lots of things to talk about, which is good for everybody. The first one we talked about a little bit last Tuesday is the PACT Act. This stands for Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics Act. It is an acronym. but It is an acronym. That's okay. You know what? Whatever needs to happen to get this done. Just let it go. That's right. It passed 86 to 11 in the Senate. Uh, This is a key expansion of benefits for burn pit victims. There's been really good advocacy around this, especially because of Jon Stewart and all of the veterans he has worked with for years. But the the gist of it is that the VA used to require strict scientific evidence for illnesses to show a definitive link between the suffering you're experiencing and your military service. And this will allow the VA to grant presumptive status to more illnesses, especially those associated with being exposed to toxic burn pits, and use a wider set of metrics to evaluate claims, And it will expand medical coverage to 10 years from five years of service um, through the VA. So not perfect. It's going to take several years to fully implement. There are a lot of details on how do we implement this well. But this is a very important step in the right direction. Can we take a moment? I am frustrated because I hear this in a lot of coverage. There was so much coverage this morning. Well, which we're going to get to in a minute. The Inflation Reduction Act is not perfect. It'll take a while. You guys, of course it'll take a while. (laughs) We're talking about federal legislation. Would you like it to happen overnight? I would like us to abandon that posture. Oh, well, it's going to take a while to implement. Of course it will. What do you want it to do? It's a country of 330 million people. It takes a while. There are a lot of veterans. The idea that it's a presumptive status is a huge step in the right direction for the Veterans Administration because part of the reason it's such a beast to navigate is because you have to deal with proving everything and so not having to prove this one thing. Like that's a, and I'm sure it will shake out into other Veteran Administration's administrative procedures, hopefully, right? And I just, I don't know. I just would love to abandon the idea of like, because something will take a while, of how else would that work? Like it passes in in seconds, you know, like that's the court, not the not Congress. I would like us to stop talking about it that way. I think it's important to talk about it that way to set expectations appropriately. It's not a criticism. But if you are sitting waiting for health coverage and you hear this passes and you think it immediately means you're going to get the services that you've been waiting for, it's important to say some some of the provisions don't go into effect until like 2026. And time matters a ton when you're sick. Time matters a ton when you're waiting for money to flow to you. So I don't say that as a criticism, but to to make sure we are all on the same page, that this is progress. It does not mean overnight that you're going to get everything you're looking for from it. And I think that's especially important because if those expectations are set wrongly, the instant someone is disappointed, that becomes a Fox News story about this single person in, mm-hmm. you know, this single community who's been so failed. I was promised this and I wasn't delivered. And so I think that being really honest about how long it takes to to implement some of these things matters a lot. I wish we just could work on the language around this because I think the media takes the posture that's a criticism. Well, it's not going to help everybody immediately. Well, no shit, Sherlock. I mean— I just think that that, but I think you're right. I mean, I do think we have to set expectations, and I think it's hard in an election cycle. And I think maybe it's you know it's the the winning side in this case, the Democrats, that have to to work on the language around this. That like this is a, we all know that the government is a big vehicle to move. We have put all our effort into moving it, but it will take a while for all this to start showing up because when we move quickly, like we did with pandemic stimulus, there's a lot of fraud and there's a lot of mistakes. And so we have to move slowly. And I mean, I know that that's a nuanced argument to make, and it is hard to find language around that. And I'm not even really, I'm not mad, definitely not mad at you. I'm not mad at Democrats. I'm mad a little bit at the media coverage because it's like they have to find something 
They can't just say, this is great and historic and it's going to change America. They have to find something. So it's always like, well, it's going to take a while. And it just drives me crazy. Maybe there are more uh, neutral ways to describe it. Like if you're doing a profile on this legislation, you just say this piece goes into effect in 2023. Until yeah. then, here's what you do. And it is it is frustrating that some of those pieces take so long to implement because there are there are folks who will die in the interim mm-hmm. that this this act would have helped. I want to say something about our senator from Kentucky, Rand Paul, who does not is support this legislation. It's not. <laughs> But but I want to say something about his posture on this, because I think it is important to consider where he's coming from. He is saying that he's worried this will just open up the floodgates to conditions that have no link to military service. And that makes me feel like he is more thinking of claims against the government, like tort claims. Mm. That sounds to me like a posture where you're assuming that veterans are coming to the government to get health care to which they are not otherwise entitled. Mm-hmm. And I think our posture needs to be more if you served the United States, especially in combat, that you just are entitled to health care. You just are. It is that service is going to permeate the needs of your physical, mental, emotional, spiritual body forever. And we owe it to you to meet those needs from now on. To me, it's just silly. When you're in service, it's your whole life. How are you going to compartmentalize something out that was caused by something different when you're in the military, when you're overseas, when you're on a base, when you're it's not a nine to five job. Like, I just I don't understand. And it's particularly offensive from somebody in healthcare that understands like, in healthcare, it starts. It's hard to compartmentalize stuff out. It's hard to track a single cause, even a single symptom, to a single condition. Like I just, I mean, what am I supposed to say about him at this point? Honestly, well, I would just like to say, especially given that he is up for re-election, we should consider how it is that he seems to be thinking about members mm-hmm. of our military, mm-hmm. not just his budget hawkishness here. Okay, well, let's move on. Back to the good stuff. The Chips and Science Act has already been signed into law. He's not going to detour us with his negativity. That's right. Uh, Chips and Science passed the Senate 64 to 33. So excited about this one. $280 billion. $52 billion for making semiconductor chips in the United States, hence the name. There's lots of money for research and supply chains and STEM education and trying to increase the number and kinds of people who are doing innovative work in the United States. I love, and I haven't heard much about this, the focus on ensuring that we don't just have the current tech hubs in America Mm -hmm. getting bigger and bigger, but that we are trying for a better geographic distribution of tech throughout the country. This this thing has $10 billion in it over five years to create 20 tech and innovation hubs in areas that are not currently leading tech centers. That's huge. Think of what that will do for communities across the United States. Well, and you didn't even touch on the national security issues that all our chips are made in Taiwan. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard recently, but there's been some dust up. Uh, between us and China over Taiwan. And to me, listen, we sat during the pandemic and we said over and over again, what has happened is that we have exposed all these problems. We've seen these real weaknesses in our country, in our manufacturing, in our economy, in our national security. And the best possible outcome is that after all the suffering that these weaknesses that we've exposed, we will address. And this is what we have done when it comes to the chips. I don't know anything more positive to say than that. We saw it. It was a problem. It is a problem that affected so many aspects of American life. And now we're addressing it. Well, again, I got a little tears, some tears right there. Well, also, the story of this legislation tells you a lot about how things actually get done. They have been working on this for a long while. I did a More to Say episode, I don't know, a year ago about what was then called the Endless Frontier Act. It's had a bunch of different names because they keep working on it. Senator it Todd Young. It took the Young, acronym to get it done, Beth. It took the acronym. I guess so. Whatever. <laughs> Senator Todd Young of Indiana, a Republican, and Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, a Democrat, 
hung out in the gym, kicking this thing back and forth for a very, very long time. And then it gets pushed through the committees and then it gets negotiated and turned around. It has been, in my view, no-brainer legislation since they first started chatting about it at the gym. But it just took a while to get here and hopefully it was made better in the process. And probably some things were made worse in the process because that's how processes go. But I'm so glad to see this getting done. And before we move on to... The NATO expansion, which I think is key and related to this. Can we just throw in? Because I just think when we're listing things, it's important to keep like a really good list in our head, which is the gun control legislation. And the reason I bring this up is Ezra Klein had a podcast recently about mental health. And, you know, the expert was like the mental health star of California. And he said, look, I don't know what it'll do for gun control legislation, but it's going to change mental health. And I thought when you start hearing, same with the infrastructure bill, when you hear people that have done this policy work for decades, and they say, everything is different now. You got to sit up and listen. You got to take notice. When mental health people who are, you know, have every reason to be jaded and discouraged about the state of our system, and I think this is another place where we saw all these problems during the pandemic, and we said, okay, we have to start working on this. And look, I think it's almost like we need to find another way to start talking about the gun control legislation. It's like we need to say every time gun control and mental health legislation, because it is a a once-in-a-generation investment in our mental health system in combination with, I know you covered on more to say, the 988 hotline. I mean, I just think that 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 is going to change and save so many lives, separate from the gun control police, which I also believe will change and save lives, that I just, I want that to be on every list we start making about all these positive changes that have come from Congress. So Congress has voted to admit Finland and Sweden to NATO. Now, obviously, Mm -hmm. that takes more than just the United States Senate. But an important step for us in America to ratifying the treaty is having Senate, the Senate vote. All 30 NATO members are expected to complete their ratification process by the end of the year. Ninety-five senators voted yes on this. Only one voted no. That was Josh Hawley. I don't want to talk about him. Rand Paul voted present. But 95 people said yes. 95 people said yes on this. 95 people in 2022 said yes to something. There's nothing not to love about Finland and Sweden. That's just the truth. Two of my favorite places on earth. That's true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. The Inflation Reduction Act we should get to because that is the big news of the week. We have spent so much time and we haven't even gotten to the biggest thing yet. This is 755 pages of legislation, $750 billion. I would like to stop there and propose a test as we go to, to vote in the midterms. I think we should look at the people on the ballot for federal office and say, would I trust you to spend a billion dollars a page? (laughs) Do you seem Uh, like someone who should be able to spend a billion dollars a page? If no, then let's let's think differently. So Marjorie Taylor Greene praying in the fake jail at CPAC would be a no. Would be a no for me. That would be a no. I'd pass on that Okay. That's good. That's a good idea. I like that. This is a future-focused bill. Now, look, that's good language. Do you like that? Do you like that? That's good. Let's use that. (laughs) It's going to take a while. This is a future-focused bill. I like it. Well, I think it is important to say that because I think inflation is like a ghost word right now. Mm -hmm. To some of us, it means gas. To some of us, it means, like, back-to-school supplies were really expensive this year. Some people are talking about jobs. Like, we're all over the place. I was going to say, the jobs report was sizzling. So some economists are like, I don't know what inflation means. I don't know what inflation means. I don't know what a recession is. I don't know what's (laughs) happening with the economy. I don't know if you can fix it. The economy Um, has decided to also enter a new phase after the pandemic. Just P.S. As you were saying, we need new language. I thought, that is evergreen for everything right now. New Mm -hmm, language. mm -hmm. But anyway, so this is whatever your personal definition of inflation is, it is probably not going to be reduced right this minute by this legislation. But over time, this is another game changer. $300 billion invested in energy and climate. That means investments in solar and wind, tax credits on electric vehicles and energy-efficient homes. It is expected to lower greenhouse gas emissions by 40% by the end of the decade. Just for stop, 40%. And can I just say, I am concerned about inflation. You know what I'm even more concerned about? Climate change. And you know what is not disconnected from each other? Inflation and climate change. If you don't think that's correct, that addressing climate change and reducing our dependence on fossil fuels will address the cost of things as we deal with incredible and increasing fallout 
from our changing climate with regards to weather events, then I don't I don't know what to tell you. They're interconnected. And climate change is just a piece of what happens here. We also have huge healthcare changes. Love it. We talked on Tuesday about allowing the Secretary of Health and Human Services to negotiate the prices of certain prescription drugs for Medicare. That'll be 10 drugs by 2026, 20 drugs by 2029. Who but knows? But not like just random drugs, the most popular like, drugs. <laughs> right. Really important ones. Who knows what the effect of that will be? That I mean, will reverberate yeah. throughout the entire economy. A $2,000 cap on out-of-pocket prescription drug costs for people on Medicare beginning in 2025. An extension on health care subsidies in the Affordable Care Act to try to keep costs down. And then we get to the taxing side of it. 15% minimum tax for corporations making $1 billion with a B dollars or more in income. I mean, I don't know about you, Beth, but I pay more than 15%, so I would I'll, like them I'll, to pay that minimally. Quite a lot more than mm-hmm, 15%. Mm-hmm. A 1% excise tax on stock buybacks. I'm going to go into this excise tax versus capital gains, carried interest situation on more to say next week so that we really know what we're talking about there. This is the Senator Cinema universe. But mm-hmm. the bottom line is a lot of revenue coming in from places that the vast majority of Americans believe are not paying enough today to fund all the initiatives in this act. And there's also deficit reduction in this act. So this is not just spend, 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 tax, tax, tax. It is also let's get our fiscal house in order as we do some new initiatives. I mean, I even felt just like the Republican criticism was so half-hearted. Even Mitch McConnell, it just was like, they're doing what they always do. But it didn't, I didn't feel like he felt it. I didn't, I feel like deep down, even some of the Republicans, even though not a single damn one of them voted for it, are like, yeah, this is probably going to help some things. I have a theory about this. I was reading Mitt Romney's statement carefully on this, which I did feel like that half heartedness. Yeah. You're not even trying to convince me. Yes. And I realized. Because we're so close to the midterms, if you are a Republican who is not on board with Donald Trump and does not believe any of the sort of Josh Hawley MAGA ecosystem stuff, and you are definitely wanting to vote for the burn pit legislation, you definitely would like to codify Roe versus Wade. You definitely mm-hmm. would like to vote for marriage equality down the line here. So like Susan Collins. Where am I finding my reason for being a Republican Right. when this is the legislation Democrats are putting up? So I, I see how they decided I just can't vote for this, too, because then how do I say to people, no, I'm actually a Republican? I feel like this is the one place where they go, well, let me get the old song and dance out about not yep. spending too much money, because where else do I go right now? And I feel like that for voters, too. I know that our current political environment is driven by emotion, not policy. I get that. I understand where we are. I'm not in denial. But for the people who do, like for the people who aren't driven by party identity, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them in America. How do you not look at the massive tax cuts that ballooned our deficit as the major achievement coming out of the Trump administration and look at this, not even counting the rest of the list and go, yep, no, I'm going to stick there. I'm struggling. I'm a, I'm a little, I'm, I know, listen, I'm a Democrat since I'm 18. I'm not, it's not that I'm not biased. I get it. But just on paper, how do you not say, this is a step in the right direction, because I think for the majority of Americans, who doesn't think, well, we really need to get to the cost of drugs? It's very popular when you poll. We do need to start addressing climate change. We need to invest in renewable energies. I, I just, I struggle. I struggle. I mean, I really like this legislation and and everything we've talked about, because I think they all look like compromises. They look like places where there was a big, bold vision, some real resistance and hesitation about that vision, because as we've seen from the COVID bills, every action by the federal government has dramatic consequences, some we can anticipate and some we cannot. And so this, to me, feels like let's try some things Mm -hmm. and see how they go. And we can build on this and we can continue to work with it and we can get some successes without stretching the government too far and it failing in some of these good ideas. Like, I I just like how much this became an exercise of 
what gets the most people behind it. Yes. Um, I, 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 that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to get the most people behind a thing. And I just remember where we were not a month ago. Biden is lost. Everything's a failure. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, it's just it's just a friendly reminder to never fall for those stories. Just don't fall for them, guys. Just don't fall, pay attention to what gets passed and what impacts people's lives. And all the ideas about like where the American people are and approval ratings are of limited, limited impact. You know what I'm saying? Like they they fill the pages, but I'm not sure they matter. And if you are disappointed by what got left out, lesson number one to strategists, I think, is to stop acting like you already have something because someone wrote it down on a piece of paper as a proposal. Mm-hmm. Because seeing people say like, well, we we would have gotten, you know, $850 billion if we had done it at this point in time. Well, you you didn't. And you didn't have, you haven't lost anything because you never had that, right? It was an idea, yep. but it it didn't come to fruition. But also, a lot of the ideas embedded in this legislation, which now sounds like common sense legislation that could have been easily passed on a bipartisan basis in another environment, have been for years socialized by people who sounded like fringe candidates when they started socializing them. It took Al Gore a very long time to convince everybody that climate change is a real thing. There are Bernie Sanders ideas embedded in pretty much everybody being like, yeah, 15% minimum tax on corporations. That sounds right. It just takes a long time to get these things into the public stream. I, too, am disappointed that there isn't family caregiving infrastructure here. And also, I think we're not far from that. No, I really think we're not far from that because we keep saying this is important. We need to do it. We need to do it. And eventually there will be the proposal that hits at the right time and it will happen. Because here's how I feel. Look, we just made this amazing list. We didn't even get to the infrastructure bill. We didn't put that on list. We didn't talk about that. It's still real. It's still going to be impacting communities across the United States. And I think how this feels to me is in this terrible, intense political environment that things can get done and that this pace of change we all feel in our lives is starting to impact Congress. This increased pace of change that we have all felt such whiplash from over the last few years, like it's it's hitting Congress. Things are changing. They're changing faster. Ideas are coming to fruition faster than I have ever seen in my history of both working on the Hill and following, you know, capital legislation closely. Like, it, it matters. It's happening. It's changing. You know, you have new leadership there. And actually, on that new leadership point, can I just say a quick thing? I just said that we shouldn't pay attention to political stories about approval ratings and politics and all that. And I mean it. And also, there's been so much coverage about Joe Biden and whether he's going to run again, which he says he is, and whether he's too old. Um, which I believe he will be too old to run again. Let's just say that on the record. I just think, man, look at this list, dude. Like, look at this list. Do you feel like you need to? Like, do you feel like there's stones left unturned? Like, do you feel like there's so many more important things you need to do? Be so, pr- this is one of the most productive single terms. Be so proud of what you've done. Be so proud of what you did. And use that momentum to pass the torch. That's just, I love him. I'm so proud of him. I think this list is incredible. And I think it is due in large part to the leadership of a man who understood the United States Senate so incredibly well and his team and the administration and and the leadership in the Senate. Absolutely. He knew when to step in. He knew when to get out of the way. He deserves a lot of credit. So does Chuck Schumer. But I'm just, I kind of feel like, man, look at this list and be proud and and use the energy from this incredible list of accomplishments to pass the torch. I have a lot of thoughts about that. I feel like it's a whole other episode. It is. It's not what fair I, for me to throw this in at the end. I know. <laughs> what I want to interject, though, is a, is a note of appreciation for the president. Our listener Kate sent us this, that uh, Chris Coons told MSNBC that President Biden called to thank the Senate cloakroom staff who worked all night over the weekend Stop. to get this legislation through. And I Stop. love that. And I co-sign it and appreciate it. Okay, Sarah, I have one question for you as we wrap up. So we've said, good job, Congress. You got some momentum. You're doing all the things. What is your before the midterms wish list from this Congress? What else would you like to see them get done 
uh, right quick, as my grandmother would have said. I don't know. I mean, I would like legislation protecting the right to an abortion, obviously. I think asking any more of them at this point is talking against what I just said, which I'm just so grateful for what you guys have gotten done. I mean, I don't think it has to be massive. I think there's probably a lot of worthy legislation that's not going to make a headline that they could make progress on and get through, honestly. What about you? I want the Electoral Count Act reform done. Oh, yes. No, that's I agree with that. That's my top priority. Yes, I, I think they will. And I agree with you about some codification of Roe versus Wade. I would like uh, federal protection for marriage equality to get done. My, like, out there dream that is too much of an ask is I would like marijuana to be legalized at a federal level. That is probably mostly personal, having spent some time with my mom who's, like, suffering deeply in a state where medical marijuana is not available. And I think it's a travesty Mm. and unforgivable, really. But I think it would go a long way in states like ours toward legalization to have it not be a crime at the federal level anymore. And I just feel like that is a majority position, too. That's a majority position. Right. And it's not figuratively a crime at the federal level. It's just literally. It's not like they're out there prosecuting it. Right. But it but it causes problems with money and banking and like, yep. I mean, there are issues yep. around it. So just clear that path is what I would like. I OK, that's a good list. I think that's a good list. Next up, we'll talk about the books that we read over the summer. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable. Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze. And its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, 
our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. We always end with something outside of politics because life contains multitudes. And we both set off into July planning to do some reading. I would love to hear about what you read, Sarah, and what you most enjoyed. Well, should we break it up into fiction and nonfiction? Sure. What do you want to do first? Let's do nonfiction first. Okay, I didn't read a lot of nonfiction over the summer because I was like, I'm going to take a break. I am working my way slowly right now through um, What Happened to You, the book Oprah put out with the doctor about trauma. And it is incredible. I felt like that's a subject matter that I thought I knew, and I'm learning a lot in that book. So I really, really love that. I did read Traveling Mercies from Anne Lamont. I know you love Anne Lamont, and I do too. I have to take her in small doses, and I think this book might have been too big of a dose. It's a very, it's an older one of her books, and man, her language on weight is terrible. Mm, yeah, it's dated and terrible and hard to read. But I did re- also read Help Thanks Wow, and I loved it. So those are—I didn't read a ton of nonfiction. What about you? I am deep in the Trump retrospectives. I Why finished... are you reading them all? Are you just gonna—you're gonna read them all? Because I learned something new with each of them. Okay. I feel like I get a deeper, richer characterization. It just—all these issues still feel so live to me. Yeah. I that I want fair. the most perspective I can get on them, and I also feel like it's a service to our listeners because if everybody reads all of these, that's really depressing. I will um, be reading Maggie's. Maggie Haberman's, Maggie Haberman's yeah. Out, 100%. So I finally finished This Will Not Pass. I read um, I Alone Can Fix It. Well, I'm still in I Alone Can Fix It. I read Thank You for Your Servitude. Um, that is Mark Leibovich's book. He kind of planted himself in the Trump Hotel during okay. the Trump years and observed all the comings and goings there. And and it gave me a lot of, it's kind of gossipy, but it gave me a lot of texture that some of the other books did not. I read Tim Miller's Why We Did It. We're going to have Tim on to talk about that relatively soon. And then I read an Anne Lamont. I read Almost Everything, which is, I think, one of her more recent writings. The idea is this is almost everything I know for sure. And they're just little mm. essays. And they're beautiful. They, uh, it was a That was a lovely book. And that was a nice palate cleanser to all of these Trumpier books. Love it. Now, which fiction did you read? Uh, I went very easy on myself with fiction. <laughs> I had planned to read People You Meet on Vacation from Emily Henry. And several of our listeners, after I said I planned to read it, reached out and said, don't read that one. That's like Yeah, that's my least work. favorite of her three. I agree. So instead, I picked a book off the library recommended shelf uh, called Deep Dish by Mary Kay Andrews. It's just a fun woman who wants to have a cooking show and her rival who also wants a cooking show on this network, Fall in Love, whatever. It was it was a delight. It was like a day read, you know. I read Big Summer by Jennifer Weiner. I have feelings about weight conversation in that book also. It is a book I would like to sit down and discuss with a highly curated book club because the main character is a plus-size influencer, and I just, I just I felt some kind of way about all of that. Yeah, I read that book. I read Big Summer last summer. And it's weird. There's like a true crime component. Yes. Like it's just. Yeah. I read her books really fast. So they don't they don't have a lot of impact. And I'm saying like my memory of them is not strong. I like her. I've never liked any book as much as I liked her first book. Mm. Good in bed. But I do think she can write a summer read like nobody's business. Yeah, the storyline was fun and interesting. I just had a lot of feelings about the way that the the main character was described. And then I read um, One Last Stop by Casey McQuiston. Casey McQuiston wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I loved. Oh, I yeah, yeah. I remember you so talking about that one. fun and just romantic and interesting and great. Um, and One Last Stop was... It was wild and out there, and the whole time you're like, I don't understand why I like this, but I really like it. It made me feel very uncool because it's about a bunch of, like, 20-somethings living in New York. (laughs) But it is a wonderful love story about two women from different times and the way that they they fall for each other and the community of people that get built around their love. It's just – it's a really lovely book. Casey McQuiston can write, like, just – fantastic work. So that was my fiction. What about you? 
I read a lot of fiction. That's primarily what I've read through July. The best novel I read was Lessons in Chemistry, which was a high, high recommendation from Ann Bogle on her summer reading guide. And it is fantastic. I wasn't sure if I was going to like it because I was like a chemist. I don't like science. It is really, really good. It has great momentum. The characters are fabulous. I love it. Highly recommend it. If you like novels at all, you will like this book. It is really, really great. Um, But also like has important things to say. Like it's not just fluff. I thought it was, I can't say enough about it. I really loved it. I read Book Lovers, which I think might be my new favorite Emily Henry. I agree that People You Meet on Vacation is my least favorite. I would now think did you read Beach Read? I did. Mm-hmm. Okay. I actually think I might like Book Lovers more than Beach Read. Really? I'll have to put mm-hmm. it on my list then. I loved Beach yeah. Read. I thought it was I really loved fun. Beach Read. Listen, this woman can write an open door saying like nobody's business. So <laughs> good. Love it. Loved it. Thought it was great. Read it really quickly. I also read Olympus, Texas. I like a sprawling family narrative. I like a lot of, I guess because I'm an only child, I don't know, but I like a lot of siblings. I like a lot of drama between the siblings. This one was great. It's it's like has these Greek undercurrents to it. It's about this family in a small town in Texas. Loved it. Loved Olympus, Texas. I read Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. I kind of wish I had not read it before the movie, if I'm being honest, because I think it took away from the movie, which I think I would have enjoyed. Otherwise, I I know this. I know this from my friend Holly, my big sister, and my sorority used to always say, you see the movie first so you can enjoy the movie. But then I have sometimes getting trouble through the book when I know what's going to happen. It's really catch-22. But I actually really, I think the book is better. It's very short. It's like a novella. It's like 120 pages. But I really liked it. Then I read Groundskeeping by Lee Cole, which is, he is from my hometown of Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, fun fact, his father was the first police officer to ever pull me over. He was friends with my parents. And he said, I told your mom I'd pull you over the first time. And so it was oh, very— Oh, I do not like that small-town feature. No, thank no, you. No, it was. It was, it was kind of <laughs> good. It was like, I told your mom I'd pull you over because I'm watching you. Like, everybody's watching you, so don't be speeding. Ooh. Don't be doing that. I didn't take it that. It wasn't creepy, I promise. I also didn't have my lights on, and it was like 530 at night. He was like, you got to turn your lights on when it gets dark. I was like, I forgot. I'll remember now. Um, anyway, it was weird to read a book so predominantly about a place and have a very different experience of that place. It was kind of an intense experience. I'm not mad at his betrayal. It's his experience of our home, but mine is different. And like even like knowing his dad and reading, like it's fiction in theory, but it is heavily influenced by his life in a way that it was so heavily influenced. I felt a little bit like he was creating a new genre. That's how intense the overlap is. It was picked by Jenna for her book club on the Today Show. So it was very exciting for people around here and I, I wish them all the best but it was kind of an intense intense read just because of my personal experience i read black cake which was on obama's list i did not love it i'm gonna be honest i thought i had too many characters um and it got a little weighed down and then i listened to the remains of the day on audio which i had never listened to before and it was just really beautiful i mean it's a classic for a reason so i'm glad i snuck in a classic over the summer but yeah i read a lot of fiction i like fiction in the summer i need to need a i need a, a break on more than one level. So I read a lot of fiction. It helped me in July to only read one book at a time and to tell myself, I'm going to read the nonfiction, reward myself with a fiction, read the nonfiction, Mm. reward myself with a fiction. That's a good pattern. I'm going to see if I can keep that up. Because usually when we're working, I have a bunch of things going at once and they just linger forever and I kind of lose interest. So I'm hoping if I focus in with that pattern that I can keep up my Yeah, I never read one book at a time. That's yeah. just not a thing I do. But I usually am. I have I get books from the library. So I'm I have a deadline that helps me. Usually I just need it. I've noticed I just need a deadline for like the first third. Like I need to know, like I'm reading this many pages. And then once I get to a certain point, especially with fiction, the plot propels me and I just want to finish it. And I never use my like sort of pages a day framework through the rest of the book. But I do need it for like the first third pretty often. Well, we'll make sure that all of these are linked and you can find them easily. Go to the show notes. Maggie and Elise will be sure that you have access to these lists so that you don't have to take notes in your car while you're listening um, or wherever you are. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Please do not forget to check out Sarah's Good Morning. In about 10 minutes, she'll have you laughing, sometimes tearing up a little bit, staying up to date on what's happening in the world. We'll be back with you on Friday. We're going to catch up on more news and we're going to think some deep thoughts about social media. It's been a minute. We just need to check in with what's going on on social media. Until then, have the best week available to you. Hey. 
Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. The Creeps! Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Hattons! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Vallelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Ashley Thompson. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. You need a stop sign. The stop sign, I think, helps. (sighs) Okay. Just like the biggest visual. Don't even think about it.